0: Good day. Welcome to another edition of Cracking the Code. My name is Ryan Skinner, and today I have a good friend, chief of probation out of the Woburn courthouse, Vinparo. Vinny, welcome. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having All Thanks right. for coming on. It yeah. was, uh, you know, I thought I was going to have to chase you down, zip-tie <laughs> you, and duct-tape you to get you here. Yeah, no,
1: no.
0: Um, the reason I wanted to have you on earlier on when we started this was um, there were certain people who came into my life that played a role, and some of you guys came in and played a role that I wasn't willing to, you know, it wasn't people I was looking for help from. It was, you know... There were, there were heroes in disguise, you know, like um, Bobby Ruffo, you know, chief police at that time. He was a detective. He was putting cuffs on me left and right. And I thought he was the enemy. Uh, you, and we had a friend, a mutual kind of a friendship. We knew each other before. But when I slid, there was, you know, business became business. And you did your job. And, and you know, I luckily by the time I was held in jail and you, you know, probation came down on me. Somebody would say, how are you guys, how do you and Vinny stay friends after you put you in jail? I'm like, no, 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 my behavior's put me in jail. Vinny just did his job. And I'm grateful for where things were on the role you played in my life because I look now and like I look at the systems now and I know this and did a lot of volunteer work at Bill House Corrections. There used to be no room. Now you can go in there. I mean, it's a free for all because they don't hold anyone. The rules are so different. I'm grateful they were stricter back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so back in what year did you start the heat program? Started the heat program in two thousand five. Okay, and a lot of people won't know what that stands for, but correct me if I'm wrong, it's Heroin Education Awareness Task Force? Correct. Okay, and that was kind of the program I went through, at least to some degree you put me through it. It was, There was poor yeah, yeah.
1: alternative and all that jazz. Right, yeah. Back in 2005, uh, well, prior to that, uh, opioids really started becoming out of control with the OxyContin, uh, and then, um, you know, it was getting prescribed like crazy. Um, that led into the heroin epidemic. Um, even though heroin was around for years back, way back, yeah, um, it started becoming the uh, progression of the drug choice after the oxycontin, where they couldn't. It, it kind of become a shortage of the oxycontin, then people started turning to heroin. We started seeing a lot of overdoses at that point in time because the purity in the early '90s was really jumping through the roof. Yeah, it so, was crazy. Yeah, it, w- it was not. So Mike, I have to give credit to Mike Higgins. Uh, he was probation <laughs> officer, and I that worked together. You probably have Mike on the show at some point. Yeah, he <laughs> he says, he uh, he's, yes. he's, he's got. He is really one of the most knowledgeable <laughs> guys in the field of, of what's going on. He's still working in the uh, in the addiction recovery field for the Worker Coalition. Yeah. Um, So, but Mike and I, he came to me, we had a couple overdoses for the courthouse um, that we just couldn't get into the beds at the right time and they ended up fatally overdosing, which is, you know, devastating. Um, So as a probation officer, um, we basically came together, we went for funding, that, that got declined. Long story short, we went to the legislature, we had all the statistics, we wanted a stabilization bed uh, so detox, 30-day stabilization, and waiting for long-term treatment. That was our recipe, and we did it for about 16, 17 years. We kind of hit a, a, a tough, tough road with COVID, um, so we really kind of suspended the program a little bit, but we still educate. So the first part of the program was educating the parents on what their kids yeah. are exposed to, how to, how to you know, acknowledge it, identify it, and what to do from there.
0: Well, I, I think um, for a long period of time, and I, I don't know the right way of saying this, I usually don't use the right wording, but bottom line is it was a problem in the ghettos. And it was kind of a racially segregated thing. And Nobody really gave a damn about heroin until it hit the, you know, to the s- suburbs. Next thing you know, they were calling it like hillbilly heroin. Now it was hitting the suburbs. You know, you had housewives doing this. And you had senior citizens, people retiring, getting hooked on this stuff. And it was out of control. And then, of course, you had the pill mills out in Florida. Massachusetts never got to that degree. But I will say this. Um, it's amazing how many people start with opioids because they had surgeries or whatnot, right. and and how parents didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, how do you
1: figure out what's wrong with your kid? they fall asleep sitting up there. You know, they're kissing themselves. You know, it's not good. It's terrible, and, that, and that's why the education was the best part of the, the program initially um and mike and i kind of made a you know we, we promised ourselves we're not just going to tell everybody you know he hair's on fire and we don't have you know tools water extinguishers to put it out yeah so we came up with the education and treatment mission two-fold mission um which was unique, uh, it was first of its kind but it, the biggest part of the education was the parents were in denial and they always said, like you said, the white suburbs you, yeah. know, you know, Woburn yeah. is even though it, it's not the most affluent town, we have some beautiful towns in, yeah. in our jurisdiction, including Woburn yeah. um, but uh, we, we brought it out and said, you know, it could be anybody's kid and you're right, um, I was even watching last night my wife Robin, we were watching Painkillers on Netflix yeah, and, and it's about the Oxycontin and, and a Purdue farmer and how they really kind of pushed it upon people that were having surgery and uh, people took it initially for the pain but then they became addicted and the doctor shuts them off uh, they couldn't get the prescriptions and they're buying an heroin off the streets. It happens real fast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know my story it was simple. I um, I never did, i never got to drugs. I was a raging drinker and potty animal, but never did drugs. And then at 25, I think it was, they found some tumors with cancer. And back then they just pumped OxyContin at you. That's right. The sad thing for me was I wasn't a victim. I was a volunteer. Um, you knew some of my friends. Some of the guys I was friendly with was selling. I remember guys trading Rolex off their wrist for one pill. That's how sick they were. Yeah. So I knew what it did. I just kind of thought I was exempt. I was 25. I was a finance guy. I thought, oh, it's not going to who becomes a drug addict at 25? Well, I did. Yep. And I'll never forget the last day when there was no money left. I'm outside of an office at and a guy says to me, you know, if you sniff heroin, it'll get rid of the pain. And I did it. next thing I know, a week later, I'm shooting heroin. Yep. yeah. And that's that scary to me, because that's progression. I mean, I went from being a, guy, a well-dressed guy in a suit like yourself to being a straight out junkie. And you yep. remember, and, and mm-hmm. it's, but it's amazing that what recovery can do with education. And you talked about long-term treatment. I opioids are a really funny thing. you're not going to get off opioids i mean i let me I just say some people get off opioids short term most people you got to go to treatment you need you know whatever it's called um detox and you need 28 days then you need really sober living for six months mm-hmm. and i think that's the thing you guys brought around that really wasn't around right And I tell people all the time, if you're in Massachusetts and you're
1: an opioid addict, you hit the lottery. If you're gonna be an opioid addict, this is where you wanna be. Well, I will say, and and that's what was unique about the HEAT program, because uh, back then it was parents would throw the kid into detox and they think a three to seven day, you know, Band-Aid approach was gonna fix their child. And it's not even close to being accurate. So that's why we came up with a HEAT model of a stabilization 30 to 45 days pending long-term treatment. Um, At least at that point then, um, you know, they were clean yeah Uh, the big thing with the detox after they detoxed they think they were cured and then they go back in the purity levels yeah. and that's where we're seeing the fatal overdoses post detox yeah so the parents be they like, oh, go you know great johnny went just want to detox and he's out he's better well he's really not better he might have you know he, he cleansed the system but now he's going back to a higher dosage with a higher purity and it was a nightmare it was it was yeah. it was death it was a, it's a
0: mind fuck too when you're in, when you get out of detox you do think you're healthy Absolutely. Like i remember i went through a number of detoxes before i finally you guys forced me treatment yeah the fourth treatment for me was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got away from the drug long enough to see it for what it was, what it did to me. And even when I had cravings, I knew what the price would be if I paid it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I didn't go back and pay it, but it just means at least I, you know, it was more understanding of what it was. Whereas if you go four or five days in detox, yeah, you come out, you have no tolerance, boom, you overdose. And now the game's rigged. I mean, look at it now. You couldn't find, I would imagine you couldn't find pure heroin,
1: it's like everything's fentanyl. I think mean, it's fentanyl now, and they're coming out with all these other drugs that are, you know manufactured, you know, out, out of the country. Um, I can't even pronounce the name of one of them, and, and it's like ten times the power of fentanyl, which fentanyl was ten times, twenty times the power of heroin. Yeah. So I don't know how anybody's physical body can absorb, but that type of you know ingestion of a drug that strong and survive. Um, you know, Narcan's been a lifesaver for so many people, and it gives them the opportunity to get clean, to, to go into the detox, to go into the program. Sometimes jail's the safest place for other individuals. Yeah. We have the Section 35s. The Section 35s, uh, you know, sometimes they're updated. The the Mass statute has increased it to 90 days of a jail. Oh, it is? Okay. So it's it's a 30 to 90 day Section 35 where you could either be in a jail setting or you could be in a a facility of treatment. And then they have discharge summaries. So that's been really good. So, uh, you know, everybody's understanding, but it's taken a long time to get where we are today. And again, now what what Mass might have or other states might have as treatment or facilities you Know the, the drug dealers are, are matching it, right? Yeah, they're, they're, that's they're true. calling up, they're, they're calling up, they're stepping up and saying, Well, now we have a stronger drug, yeah. So, whatever they might have for treatment, we have a stronger drug that's, that's gonna pull, pull in the addicts. And, uh, I mean, look at look at the methadone mile a kid we did way back oh. in the day, you know, uh, a kid named Charlestown kid, Johnny Hickey, he ran oxymorons. Which was very prevalent we used to do educational films um johnny is now doing a, a methadone mile film that's so um, sad out that of the jail miles. they it the bermuda triangle right here in massachusetts right down on, on mass cash he's got <sighs> they have uh you know they have the drug clinics yep they have the jail and it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare yeah They're i mean you go intense. by there and you're sitting there and you. it's, sad. it's It is sad you it's know and
0: i always say like but through the grace of god because that could have been me i mean that was me the only difference was that like i said i was fortunate enough you know, by being held in jail till you guys got me a bed, Yeah, two things happened. One, it woke me up to what jail was. Right. And then it could happen to me. Yeah. You know, that I could, I remember the door slamming and being like, all right, who can I call? How do I get out of here? And then I realized there is no call. Right. You're there. And then after going for treatment, it was like, okay, now I got a shot at life. And I had known people who had gone for forced treatment through the courts. Uh, they did Project Turnabout. You guys put me in that place in New knew Bedford. What was the name of that place? Um. Reflections cap. Reflections. that cap. place saved my life. And I remember getting there and thinking these, these guys that were teaching, these women that would teach in the groups, they were, they were rough. They were from a different background than me. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember being like, oh, and I could see so many differences. And then one day I could identify with them. I was like, wow, they really are me. They might look different. They might be a different sex, different color, whatever, but they're me. And that changed everything. Um, and Mikey Higgins, you mentioned Mike. Mike Higgins, I hated that guy in a way I never hated another person. <laughs> I was always told in GLD, some guy told me, pray for your enemies. So they were trying to encourage me to pray. So I would pray that when I killed Mike, when I got out his family, would have missed him. Oh, then I prayed he'd die in his sleep. Then I prayed he wouldn't die, he would just go away and retire. Then next day I knew I prayed that he had a good life. Then I was thankful he was in my life. And probably within three months, I saw a whole different view on this guy. And I mean, I, I remember pushing him, you going, hey, you, he can put you in jail for this. And he, and he, he was good, he was solid, you
1: know? Mike, but I also, Mike, yeah, Mike's the real deal. I, I have to tell you, Mike, Mike, uh, he was he was way above it. And when he came yeah. to me with the idea, you know, we jumped on it. And uh, yeah, Mike is uh, he's no joke. One thing about Mike King is I'll tell you. So at first, he was a guy that tortured me, and he was rude, and he didn't care, and he
0: was just mean. I thought, and blah blah blah. You know, I'm sure he was so sick of my shit at that point. But I'll, I remember this. At one point, I had a pending case. It was it was serious for me it was going to be, I would have had to take a plea out. It would have been a felony, lossy for a person. It was, it was not good. Not the end of the world, but for my world, it would have been. And the Just judge outside said, the brickyard. Yeah, 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 remember. You remember. let's leave it at that, my friend. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> sadly <laughs> enough, that wasn't even the most embarrassing one of all of them, you know? know yeah. So, uh <laughs> You're an ass. So anyways, Mike Mike wasn't in that day and I had to go in front of the judge. And the, the the girl from the district attorney's office said, Well we want to put him in. We want to give him nine months. And the judge said, This guy's clean and sober nine months. We're not putting him back in jail. Mr. Skinner, would you do time service if I if I let you go today and just provision? I said, Yeah, you know, she said all right, we're gonna take a break, we're gonna reconvene in the courtroom downstairs, and we'll go from there. I'm walking down, I walked by and Mike's in the probation office. I said, oh, I thought you weren't in today. He said, oh, I pop by, I had something to do. What's going on with your case? I told him and I was happy. I mean, it's time served, this and that. He said, Right, it's a felony. I said, Mike, I'm not going, I was so scared of going back to jail. He said, Let me just come in the courtroom. I said, please don't do anything to hurt me. He goes, Ryan, I'm not gonna hurt you. He goes to the judge and he looks at this judge and says, I've never had a guy at that age come back from where he was. You know, he wasn't a young guy and he came back, he's doing well. Please give him probation on this. If you give him a guilty on this, What's going to happen is he'll lose his career. And right now he doesn't have it, but at least he has a chance at it right now. Uh. We don't want to take that away from the judge. said, Mr. Skinner, you're a lucky guy. Boom. That, to this day, that guy is not even about the money he's made me because of my ability to do what I do. He's allowed me to be involved in charities and pay it forward. He's allowed me to be a father. I mean, this guy has had... I get a, I, get, I can't say enough good about him, you know. And and this guy I genuinely hated, yeah. and um, it's funny. One of my clients works with him, and I, every so often I give her something to throw at him for a jab, you know. And, uh, yeah. He's so, an easy target. Though. Oh, he is an easy <laughs> guy. He's a big target too, you know. <laughs> oh, so sorry, Mike. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> no, but he's. I'll tell you, he's a hell of a guy. Yeah. And you know, so the thing with the heat program, and, and obviously, I'm saddened to hear that it had to be paused for a little bit. But the funding right. in the state is—it's weird, it's
1: finicky. They have all this money, they want to pump out, but they just want to pump it in a lot of different directions. Right. Well, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, there's there's so many different avenues for the budget. Um, so I'm not going to comment much on that. No, uh, I, I don't mean in a way. Said, I'm not an expert. There's, on it. there's never enough beds, and right now we're really in uh, the mental health, even though usually it's 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 a big part of the substance abuse. The mental health is really superseding um, some of the issues at the courthouse, and uh, we we, we you know we work with DMH, we work with Sas and there's a lot of money in the budget, and we're just trying to figure out where we can you know. Benefit in our community where we have uh, we have now. There's a hotline that we have. Um, they've they've made some great strides in addressing the mental health. But uh, and I think a lot of that's from COVID. You know, a lot of yeah. people uh, you know working from the home. Well, yeah, you know, for, it's, for people in Yeah, a lot well, of, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot to it. A
0: lot yeah, to it. I, you know, looking back, all that was was a way. See if they can control people. I'm sorry. I believe yeah. finally, yeah. literally, yeah. it was a virus. Yes, but the way it was such a control mechanism. Um, But my thought, when you think about the mental health, there's a fine line, like our buddy Chuck always says, addiction is a mental health issue. It's, you know, it's definitely, it's no different than being diagnosed bipolar or schizophrenia or, or, you know, whatever it is. 100%. And I think that you have to realize that if you don't, I mean, I self-medicated. Then Mm. once I was diagnosed bipolar, I was on certain medicines. I'm not gonna say it got easy, but it got a hell of a lot easier. Mm. And now it's manageable you know and that's a gift for a guy where I was and you saw me I was up down and even now I can spike and crash down pretty easy but the one thing is I can control and get back on point right and I think the problem is you have to have people separated from the drugs if you don't take the drugs away for a long period of time you're never going to be able to diagnose or deal with what's there
1: yeah true so now, do you still do stuff with schools? Are you guys still in schools or? Yeah, well, you know, once again, COVID kind of slowed yeah, everything down, really. you know, and they have a tight curriculum now with the schools. Um, but, you know, we, we've kind of been around so long. Uh, Mike and I are gonna be sitting down and talking about maybe what, what our next, you know, um, strategy is to get going with some, some education, first of all. But again, um, right now, from where we were, you know, way back 2005, it's the youth in recovery that's really making the biggest difference that I see. All right, so we have to we have to bump up the mental health um, services. Okay, um, the court we have section 12s, we have section 35s, and we know how that works. But as far as what programs are available, but the young kids in recovery, we have a lot of kids that graduated. Crazy, eat, um, but we have um, you know kids that have gone through. I had someone come in the courthouse last week. He's been clean <laughs> ten years. I haven't seen him in 10 years, but he's, he's well, he came back. Probably part of his steps, everything came back to thank us at the courthouse yeah. for getting him clean and stuff. But, you know, there are there are a lot of success stories out there nowadays, and we really have to hold on to those and cherish them. And, and, but they're spreading their, their stories. They're working with the programs, um, and, and there are a ton of programs, as you know. <clears throat> I'm not going to mention any names to show favoritism. But there was some unbelievable inpatient homes, sober yeah. homes, um, you know, outpatients, inpatients. It's really gone uh, above and beyond what I've ever expected. Yeah. I mean, you will get the,
0: you know, P house, I won't go too far into it. But yeah. that place, it's a, it's a high success rate I've ever seen. Yeah. I say to people,
1: if you go yeah. there, you do a Michaels or something like that, you're going to, I can't guarantee you, but you're going to get the best crack at it. And you're surrounded by great kids that have been there. No one really wants to have a, you know, Vinnie Piero. hey, you know, I'm, I'm like, sometimes I always tell even our interns that come through, probation officers between a police officer and a social worker. We're right in yeah, the middle. Sometimes sure. we wear a lot of different hats and every day is different. But at the end of the day, we're there to support the person, getting clean, getting healthy, you know, staying out of trouble. But it's all tied into really one component. I'd say 95% of what we see in our courthouse is mental health, substance abuse related. You oh, know, imagine the, the domestics, any type of charge, you know, the OUIs, you think about what we see. And we see everybody yeah. on their worst day. I
0: was going to say, you, guys, you, we you see really everybody do. everybody on
1: their worst day. So, um, you know, what I try to tell my staff is when someone comes in, you know, let's just not take their name, rank, and serial number. Let's try to find out what we can do to help them, push them in the right direction, at least offer them services. Now we have the Community Justice Sports Center. Um, we have a lot of great programs through probation. And, uh, you know, I thank my commissioner's office for giving us those tools to work with this field. Um, but sometimes it's never enough. We can push, you know, lead the horse to water. You can't make him drink. Yeah. But if you keep pushing them in the right direction and support them, it's all about the right balance. Well, it is. Everything I, in moderation, right? I think that's important. Yeah.
0: I mean, I know for me, when I start getting doing the right thing and I would pop by and see you and visit. There was a support, like somebody's pulling for you. Right. You know, and, and I think uh, if you really look at it, and you mentioned the young kids in recovery. A friend of mine, a old guy, Mikey Evans, you know Mike. Yep. And Mike started a meeting one Friday night down the street from my house and saw him. He said, listen, I need you to show up. It's gonna be a young people's meeting, but we just need bodies. And at that point, I was like 35. I'm like, what am I doing? But he was older than me, so he said, let's just do this. And he started this meeting over time. Like I'd pop in and out, sometimes I couldn't make it. He would be there. Now he doesn't go, and we were joking the other night, I saw him. there is at least 100 people in this room, yeah, no under kid. the age of 25. yeah, Because it's just, it's actually, your nephews were there a yeah. lot of the time, because yep. it's just, it's a stylish thing now. They
1: all the ice cream. It's right. trending, the sobriety thing, because they see that it's a mess out there. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's an oxymoron, but I tell you right now, recovery is cool. It is. There's I'm, a, there's a cool, cool generation in recovery now. Yeah and it's cool to be clean. It, it, looks, it's really, it's really it. because people respect that right off the bat. You know, I don't care what the length of time is. First of all, it's an attempt to stay clean, to save your yeah. life and to save your family's lives. Because yeah. let's not forget the, the devastation course. it puts on the parents. And we see a lot of uh, grandparents that are caring for their child's kids. So it's like a second generation that is caring for the younger kids. And, and I can't imagine, you know, a 70 year old woman golden, looking yes. after a 10 year old kid. And it's one thing to have a grandchild, but to have that as your own child living with you and going through, you know, the difficulties today with technology and schools and, and getting the kid to yep. do homework, it's just, it, it's not a good scenario, but, you know, thank God the, the grandparents are available for the kids, but yeah. the young kids, uh, I tell you, it's really incredible. I'm really, I'm really it, happy to impressive. see it. You know it was impressive. Uh, it really is. You, and you know, you talked about
0: something that was pretty important, the, the impact on family. So there's a woman who works for me. She's also a client. She works part-time. She takes a day off each week to work her friends' kids, lost a kid because of drugs. Yep. The baby's born addicted, yada. So now the grandparents are raising the kids. This woman helps out one day a week. But it's a lot. I mean, I look at my mother. My sister's in recovery. And yep. my sister's a good mom, but she has a lot going on with her ex. So she's working. And my, my mother is partially raising my, my nephew. Sure. And I will tell you, my father will flat out tell you, this wasn't my golden years. This is what they weren't supposed to look like. And, um, and I can say because they don't watch this. But I mean, they, my father's devastated, you know, and, and because the younger generation, one, even if they're sober, most of them are takers. People just take advantage of the older generation. Right. Um, what I used to, what moved me about the heat program a lot was you and Mike, now there may be something I don't know, but for the most part, you guys don't have opioids in your face. You weren't addicts. Um, you know, neither of you, I don't think, had a sibling addicted to opioids. You didn't have a kid addicted to opioids, God willing. Um, that's what moves me. I always say it's what you do for people, what you do for other people that can do nothing for you. Because mm-hmm. what defines you, it's easy for me to go out tomorrow and do something for a client because I'm right. making money. But when I go to like the Wuben Council of Concern, we do de- a monthly thing there. And when I do this, that's what makes me feel good. I think that's what defines me. I think really that's what's defined you guys is you build this whole program because you just saw what a disaster was for other people. Right, right. It was, you feeling other people's pain. And that's kind of hard because, call it like it is, I mean, you know, after a while, you get kind of hard into it. If you see it every day, it's, I mean, you, you, you've got to get hard in some capacity, but there's obviously a party that you just can't get over it.
1: Yeah, so I actually had a, 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 a kid that worked for me in, in my probation apartment. He's in another courthouse now. And he called me yesterday. He's been a probation officer less than a year. And um, he had one of his probationers that he met after hours, um, basically on the front steps of the courthouse he, re- he works at, and he had a nice meeting with the kid. The kid actually brought a coffee to him, they built a nice relationship. And later on that night, the, the kid hung himself. And um, so this is the first loss that this probation officer had on his caseload. So the first question, he, you know, I think he was calling me for support to say, that I do everything right, did I yeah, do anything wrong? Of course. My first question to him was, are you okay? Yeah. Because it's going to happen. And how unfortunate and devastating losing that, that kid on probation was, he's going to see a lot more of it. So you, you, definitely yeah. get, you definitely get leather skin to an extent, but it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. Right. It doesn't make it any easier. So it's real difficult to, to go through that. And it gives you an idea how bad these people, I mean, like I said, he, he shows up with the. Courthouse steps, after hours, check in, consider yep. it an office visit, so to speak, but yeah. it's outside, and I always say, I always tell my, even my young probation officer work for me now, go outside and sit on a bench outside the courthouse and have a one-on-one conversation. Yeah, it Wait makes you from, feel more like a yeah, people, yeah, person. Yeah, you, feel, you're not the, you know, people are sometimes hesitant to talk in an office. They feel, yeah. you know, kind of cornered. You go outside, sit on the steps. You yeah. know, um, years ago, juvenile POs used to be able to do more of that. You know, obviously yeah. times have changed and everybody's got a little more liability on yeah. their plate. But to, to really know that they're a person, you know? Um, fortunately, I've never been through the addiction. You know, I said, I mean, I remember one time I had surgery probably 20 years ago. I had carpal tunnel surgery. And uh, I took, I took uh, Percocets for like two days and then I came off them. And I was like, kind of dizzy. I was like, wow, yeah. I, I can see how this is a problem for kids. Oh, yeah. Because it's just easy to take the pill to not take the pill. But right. You nailed it. So when I was in my early
0: 20s, I'd had hand surgeries and stupid stuff. I didn't fight well. And when I would have it, they'd give you perks. You'd take it for a day, two, whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't until they gave me the OxyContin and the doctor kept saying, no, you won't get hooked. You won't get hooked. The yeah. next thing I know, I'm on six 80s a day from a doctor. Oof. Six goddamn 80s a day. And then I'm waking up sick in the morning because it's not hitting me fast enough. So and that's when my buddy said, "We well, should snort it." Once yep. you snort it, it was like boom. And this is a, again, I'm not a guy who did drugs. I wasn't a guy who was blowing lines and partying. I didn't even smoke
1: weed. I didn't try weed once in college. Well, I think a lot of times you, you, you knowing you personally, you probably justified it. Hey, I'm doing great business wise. I'm a good, I'm a good guy, and uh, this is temporary, right? This is temporary. I like the party. Yeah, I, get, and well, I got, and I got, I got a
0: prescription, and it's, you know, that was it. Right. And then when the prescription was over, I knew it owned me. I remember thinking to myself, "Fuck."
1: Well, like at now, one point the prescription
0: yeah. ran out and I had a couple of houses a couple of cars I probably had my retirement probably half a million a little more
1: Yeah.
0: and I remember thinking what happens when this goes I knew it was going to go and yeah. I will tell you this within two years I'm on the streets no cars no houses yeah. you, you name it yeah. I mean jail was an upgrade I remember yeah. when, I, when you sit Ryan, we're going to hold you today and I was like Whew. like I, I don't have to do no, no this anymore kidding, yeah. they'll figure it out for me yeah. you know and that's as
1: pathetic as it was I needed that well, I got to tell you, Sheriff Kettuji, and you know, and all the other counties too, but Middlesex County Sheriff Kettuji has done a remarkable job with the programs they have. Yeah, he's to be great. Now. he's he's the best guy, and he and he means it. He's sincere. He's compassionate, and he does a phenomenal job up there with some of the programs they have. Um, because you know, it's it, while you're going to be sitting in jail. Let's not have you sit in jail. Let's have you apply. You know what you're going to yeah. be doing when you get out, right? So even even like with uh, the situation where they can get. Their uh, Vivitrol shot upon before release. Yeah. So they don't get out. What's the first thing someone's sitting in jail with addiction? I can't wait till I get out yeah, to pick course. up to a drink, drink or a drug or whatever it might be. So if they get out with the Vivitrol in them or any other medicated, yeah, you know, they MATS, have like, yeah, the suboxone, then they're already ahead methadone. of the game because now they don't have that huge urge to use. And if they do, they don't really that. have an effect of it.
0: I used to think that, like, I used to judge methadone and suboxone. I used to say, oh, that's not sober. That's not sober. No. Oh. Um, now I look at like, you know, it's not on my side street. It's not the right thing. But if you need that to stay sober and you're not out stealing, you're going to work, Your father, a husband, a son, whatever the hell it is, yeah. I've learned not to judge reach their own yeah I and mean, i used to be
1: so critical yeah. of people you know and now i'm like you know what who yeah. am i who am i to judge you there's know a I mean? lot of different paths to recovery as long yeah. as they all lead to recovery and stay and stay that way you
0: know yeah i was very fortunate my whole the path that always worked the only one that worked for me was 12-step program right i mean none of the other ones worked right Suboxone, so, i would use them sell them buy others like yeah i never tried methadone but i mean i just knew if i was putting something in my body i was gonna go back to the opioids right Right. And it's um, so a lot of times when I have people on this, the, the whole thing is somebody who had some success in their life fell in their face and came back. Um, two things one, you really didn't go through that, and anything you did go through is probably pretty personal. I don't want to put out there, right? But I will say this um, there's you've seen a lot of it, and right. you've had it in your own life. But I'm not asking the story, but I want to know what do you think of the characteristics like you said to me this morning, like about when you get up in the morning, don't say this and that. What do you think the biggest characteristics of people that come back or are successful after going through hell? Is it grit? Is it tenacity? And not just the cliche bullshit, but is there something inside of there that you say,
1: hey, that motherfucker has this and that's how they came back? I think it's a combination of everything, I'll be quite honest with you. So I went, I went through some, you know, obviously marital problems. Yeah. Um, and it's devastating, you know, because, you know, when you think you have everything going for yourself and then you lose that, whoever's fault that might be, you have to rebuild yourself. But it starts inside, right? But, uh, you know, hopefully there's, people have sincere intentions. They have good hearts. And then the kids come first. Um, and then obviously you have to balance everything like we talk about moderation. Yeah, you have to balance what you have going on professionally personally Okay, I mean I lost two parents in, in a year and a half Yeah, you had a fucking it, was, tough time. it was, you know those things did, but that's part of life It's it's it stinks. It stinks. It's 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 it's, it's devastating, right? Um, to go through that whole process um, but and the, the alternative wasn't an option for me and I wasn't uh-huh. going to just raise the white flag and give up You wake up you're angry frustrated you go through all the emotions and that's then that's I mean I can't imagine like I said being an addict that is trying to get clean No one believes them, you know, a lot of times yeah. people say why, why do I have to you know drug test? I'm clean. Why do I have to give you letters every month? I'm clean Well, if you're clean, it's real easy to give me a letter. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's it, you know, these are simple steps in, in, in life and we want to try to get you to a point where you're healthy enough to, to do on your own. I mean, most probation cases are only a year long. So we can only do so much with that individual during that year. But well, after that, That's the usually the baseline, though. You can get somebody a yeah, year, you're going to help them. Sometimes, you know, sometime, Yeah, a year is... A a, you know, that, that's what we we use. But sometimes it's two years. Sometimes it's out of the jail for a year. But regardless, we're trying to... We're not just trying to get you... Because some people say, I can't wait until I'm off probation. Well, you know, that's a terrible, terrible you mindset. It. Because... You'll be back here the next day. Yeah. And you know, it's a repeat. You right? like we said, we, we see people and, and you know, some people like they get off probation or while they're on probation, they keep reoffending. Yeah, and, and jail's not always the answer, once again. Like, what are their issues? What can we do to concentrate, to get them clean, get them healthy, you know, so they can contribute to their family. You know, I talk about, you know, contribute to society, but their family yeah. first. What can they do to keep them in the role of that, you know, whatever, if they're a brother, sister, I mean, parents. Well, it's hard, and it's it also,
0: you know, yeah, you want to contribute to the stream of life, fact. I mean, we all want to be positive, right. bigger than ourselves. Nobody wants to just be alone. I always say, like, you know, when I built my business back, the reason I think I've had some success is because I don't really care about the money anymore. It mm-hmm. wasn't about the money. As at one point it was because I was broke. It's about like feeling like clients, walking. I I them retire. I feel yeah. like I'm part of something bigger than myself. Right. You know, Bobby, what, you know, we're planning history. Like, you know, when you retire, my buddy, Billy, who got me sober, I'm able to go to guys who help me and do something for them. But I also, you know, I want to be a father or a husband. And I think a lot of it is, People struggle when they're down to come back because I, that's why I started this thing called Cracking the Code. The truth is I I have a coaching business where I coach guys that are either business guys, have a midlife crisis, whatever it is. Because most guys, if you look at the four numbers on a code, right, on a lock, they can get the two in life. You know, maybe they're good fathers. Maybe they, you know, stay in good shape. But guys like us, we go to the gym and we are fathers. Maybe they struggle. Maybe they can even get their business level appointment. But they can't get their relationships so or they can get their relationship. They can't get their business. And there's always that one code that's missing. And sometimes if you have somebody on the outside, they can say, hey, if you're doing this. So they said to me, well, why don't you start a podcast and talk about something? And I didn't want to talk about finance because that's all I do. Yeah. And I didn't really want to talk about the coaching thing because I, I don't want to promote something that make money. I wanted something that's genuinely about the characteristics people have. I think, at least from what I see, that a lot of people get through, because you did go through reverse. I mean. You know, going through a losing a marriage, I don't care what anybody says, we can talk like tough guys, but it hurts like a bastard. Oh, it's you know? terrible. And it's just, you know, not like I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself waking up with all the kids every day and the and that. It's like somebody's ripping your heart out with a cold knife. But the reality is, if you look at the positive and you look at it like, hey, you know what? I got kids. You know, hey, I can get up. I'm in a warm bed. I'm in a house that I can pay for. It. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I make a gratitude list in the morning, I look around I'm like, fuck, I'm pretty blessed. But when I wake up, I'm in like negative zone. Sure. And, and, sure. I, and so when you went through that, was it something you did? Did you work out in the morning? Did you have some routine that helped you pull out of that?
1: Yeah. Well, I woke up like, you know, I, I like some people kid around when they get older in life, how are you doing today? Well, I woke up today, right? That, well, with your that's, hot problems, that's, that's, I, that's I mean, that's another, you, you had a major problem. Yeah, I, I, I had some health issues too, all, all yeah. kind of related, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, and honestly we talk about like cracking the code. So it's similar to a golf game, right? Yeah. Most people like, they might have a good drive. Yeah. Or oh, then they shank their second shot, approach shot, but they have a good chip and a putting game. So golf, if you're playing, you're never really oh, four aspects, you never usually four not getting four aspects of your golf game unless you're a really good. Now get one, right? Yeah, yeah you get one, and, that, and that's and that's fulfilling. But then you always say, no matter how great your drive was, oh, I, I wish I hit my second shot better. It's yeah. almost like you you regret and you go back in time, like you miss a putt yeah like oh i should have hit that putt for par yeah right and i don't know if the analogy really no no it it, it. it makes sense that's what happens like golf has four to five aspects of it right yeah but most of it it's mental and physical similar to what you're going through right you have to wake up so yeah i I definitely worked out more wake up in the morning keep myself occupied and then you go to work and you you dive into your work you know definitely doing more hours at the courthouse during that period of time oh were you okay yeah yeah just to get to work and you know because but there are other days, too, that, you, you know, you're stuck somewhere else and you don't yeah. want to be. Yeah. But you have to look at the big picture. And, you know, thankfully, I came out and taught. My kids are doing great. Um, but like I said, um, I you're right. You have to be, you know, write down a list of what you're grateful for. Yep. Right? And I think that's a great idea that you you learn through the 12 steps. Yeah. Right? And, so my, kid, my kids right now, sometimes I'll, I'll drive them to the old neighborhood or something and I'll say, yeah you know, it wasn't like this when I grew up. You have to. You know, I think most kids nowadays are spoiled. Yeah, they and, and they don't appreciate much stuff, right? Yeah, but we won't get going on that train. Yeah, it's a, but, a but that a being error. said, yeah, <laughs> that being said, there's you know, people are there's always people doing worse and there's always people doing better. It's it's up to that person to accept it and appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and I and I think people, you know, they have the wrong benchmark when it comes to doing worse, doing better. I used to. Look at somebody had a good girl in their arms, and they had a smile on their face, and they had a nice clothes on, and a nice yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Then I realized that that guy might be going home and hate that girl, and this and that. Now I realize it's an inside job. Grass
1: is always great. Yeah,
0: and I, these days I don't think it is. I never, I never look at somebody else who want to be in this spot. I'm good where I'm at, right. and I'm going through right. hell. Don't be wrong. Every day I wake up right. with the same freaking anxiety. Yeah. But by like ten or eleven, I'm like, you know what? <sighs> I'm like we're doing all right. I had a workshop last night. We crushed. I, I go to yeah. bed. I, I go to work. I do something I love. I have little yeah. kids that I love. You know, yeah. life's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ben, I just I think one of the things that I want to touch base with you is um, you brought up the golf game.
1: Yeah.
0: So a buddy of mine, um, he used to work with the Chicago Bulls. Then he went with the league, he's a um, he's a mindfulness coach for Phil Jackson's teams. Okay. And he was in Kobe's book. He was really, I'm um, George. George was on our second episode, I think I had. And um, now he just works with pro golfers. They hire him because they get the is it the Yelps jibs i don't know the yips, it yeah, like, yips, yeah. yips, yeah, yips yeah. whatever it is i i'm not yeah. good enough to get that yeah. okay so i that's a good shot for me but anyways he was saying like it's all about focus and being able to come back to the present moment the present yeah. moment yeah and uh so i think it's great you know what you're doing is great i appreciate what you do i appreciate what you did for me yeah. um it's just well, good it's you my know, pleasure the, the community's a better place because guys like you and mike don't tell Mike i said that <laughs> all right brother thanks for coming on Thanks, fine thank you man appreciate it repeat